0: This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land.
1: We acknowledge the First Nations and Elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Ah. I'm at supermarket. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. Like, so they're the pigs, either, but the pigs are also, but I like
0: it.
1: <laughs> and then they're eating money.
0: Yeah, because they're greedy. Because well, okay, it's like pigs are greedy, right? Yes. And greedy for money, it's the pigs at the trough. I okay, don't know what the tr- maybe that's usually You need usually to put like thing. Coles. Know, you need to put the
1: Coles logo or Woolworths logo on the pig inflatable mm, suit. You that's need true, to-
0: actually. They didn't have the logo. I think they had. I think there was a logo somewhere, like maybe on the tub or something. I don't know. But
1: That doesn't make any. On the tub. What does that mean?
0: No, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Just but to- I like it. <laughs>
1: Incredible gentlemen. This is from the ABC. As we covered earlier, Bob Catter and Andrew Wilkie roamed the corridors of Parliament House wearing inflatable pig costumes this morning. The pair were carrying <laughs> containers of fake money and pretending to eat it from a trough like pigs in a stunt aimed to highlight the profits of Coles and Woolworths.
0: No, it's good. No, it's good. Someone was pointing out, yeah, like the storied history of, you know, costumes and um in, in Australian Parliament. Like there's the Grim Reaper, of course. There yes. was I don't know what the other ones they, they included. Xenophon were, was always um, in a
1: little, little uh, car oh, that's driving right. Around. It was a Xenophon
0: thing. Yeah. I mean, you were saying you think that this is, you think people don't, <sighs> like, this is bad and we shouldn't do this. Because I see this and I'm like, why didn't we think of that?
1: <sighs> really? I don't know what, I I don't know don't what it is. I just don't think we
0: do enough stunts. I don't think we do enough stunts.
1: But do you want stunts like with costumes and stuff?
0: Yeah, I want so like the LNP in Queensland also does quite a few media stunts. Like I think okay. I remember one time they brought out like this whole cabinet thing in front of the parliament, and then they like opened it and there was nothing. I I it was like I don't even honestly remember. But they <laughs> that's actually a good point. I don't remember what it was about. Um, <laughs> Sounds
1: pretty cool. I just cool. I just
0: like stunts. I just like stunts. Maybe it's because I think maybe I think maybe if we did stunts, the media would pay attention to us. Maybe that's all it is. Well,
1: I mean, a good counter example is, I mean, Janet Rice, right? So Janet Rice just did a stunt of a kind, held up a sign uh, in Parliament saying "Stop the human rights abuses." Oh, to but that's a different
0: the- kind of stunt. I'm talking See, right. about so like you want crazy, the funny, creative. creative ones. Yes, yes.
1: But don't you think that there is an element in which the Greens um, have to? We're too to- serious, though. But don't you think there is also a, a perception issue? Maybe I'm letting the major party brain and the media brain dictate my responses here. Mm. But don't you think there is a somewhat of a challenge or at least part of our campaign and our strategies to get people to take us seriously? Yeah. An inflatable pig costume maybe doesn't do that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but I think that that's part of our – like you could imagine that, yeah, our members probably – like a lot of Greens would be like – well, I don't know, supermarket price gouging is um, a very serious issue and mm. um, what we need to be looking at is the evidence-based solutions and, you know, whether that does include divestiture powers. Meanwhile, like the cat is like, <laughs> and the media are like, <laughs> turning their cameras towards them.
1: <laughs> what's, what's this guy up to? Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: i got to say, one of my favourite accounts on X. Is yes. Batshit Ospol at Batshit underscore Ospol. Oh, yeah. And I thought this was incredible. International followers, one month in Ospol. <laughs> Former MP retweets, retweets porn, defects to new party, <laughs> then posts AI image of leader. <laughs> Old Deputy Prime Minister filmed lying drunk in the street. Head spy master announces mystery politician as a spy. Oh, Politicians yeah. dress as pigs and eat money. <laughs> Most of this news was broken by a bunch of teenagers who run a newspaper in their <laughs> spare time. And they will no doubt be here any moment to fact check us into oblivion on the timeline.
0: That's got to be one of the most, un- yeah, like that is the craziest part of it all. That, like, Leo Puglisi <laughs> is the best journalist in Australia. <laughs> Down. most trusted.
1: There is a new power couple, the Greens and the Liberal Party, working together to hold up increasing job seeker. The new power couple of 2024. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo's shithouse podcast. This is a, this is a serious danger to Australia. No, we are the most trusted news force. Sorry, apart from, from us. <laughs> serious this danger. is a Serious Danger, podcast about green politics in Australia. I'm Tom Ballard, that is Emerald Moon. Hello. This is not official Greens Party podcast. It is made possible to help the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin.
0: Speaking of pigs... Not not the griff. This is nice. what we're talking about this yes. week, which is Made the fact that clear. all cops are bastards and they shouldn't be marching at Mardi Gras. And we also, not speaking of pigs, but instead of speaking of another animal, badgers, sorry <laughs> to confuse everyone, we spoke to Tabitha Badger, who is the Tassie Greens candidate for the seat of Lions. We spoke about the upcoming um, state election that they've got there on the 23rd of March and the absolute batshit state of their politics down there.
1: God damn, Tassie. Don't get the credit you deserve for being the basket case. Yeah, clearly. Beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Great people. Mm -hmm. Insane politicians. Thanks to our new patrons for supporting the show. We love you very much. Uh, You help us pay the bills. If you go to patreon.com forward slash serious danger AU for just three bucks a month, you get bonus content every fortnight and you get our love and respect. Anyone who listens to the show is not a patron. (laughs) We we consider to be pigs. But a friend.
0: Well, oh, sorry. Anyone who, yeah. People who are patrons are friends though.
1: They're great. Yes, they're close acquaintances yeah. and we respect yeah. you. They're Everyone else. Yes.
0: I don't know. Is that, yeah,
1: sure. I consider them free riders. If you listen to the show without paying patron, you're a free rider. <laughs> uh, Tanya, Chris, Jacob, Susan, Danielle, James and Ben. I just remember- remembered that Ben was another one. Thanks, Ben. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, there was a new Patreon episode released this week. Jesse Noakes, the brilliant Jesse Noakes from WA, returned to the show to discuss the homelessness crisis in WA including the WA state Labor government's wonderful habit of evicting Aboriginal families from public housing. This is a crazily common problem Um, and Jesse's done a lot of organising around that issue, talking about that and talking about the homelessness crisis, the number of people that are dying on the streets of Perth homeless. It's a disgrace and Jesse does cool stuff around that and that was a uh, very sobering but very interesting conversation. Mm. Have a listen. We're doing live shows, yeah? Yeah.
0: Yeah, we are doing live shows. We've got two coming up. The first one, Nam Melbourne, Saturday, the 6th of April at 1.30pm at Comedy Republic at the same time, coincidentally, as Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Come see us. And then if you don't come see us there, or maybe if you do as well, fly up to Brisbane, Mianjin, and see us on Saturday, the 27th of April at 2pm at Good Chat Comedy Club. We're going to have some fantastic guests. It's always a good vibe at the live shows. Um, and if you come along, it helps us keep running the shows and then maybe we can do more of them and we can do more cool stuff and Mike gets to eat and you get to hear funny stuff. It's a win-win.
1: We will do some stuff that will only be at the live shows too. We will record a bunch of the audio yes. obviously on the feed and in the Patreon, but we'll have some stuff that's only going to be there for the live stuff, so definitely worth coming along. Uh, we mentioned
0: Exclusive.
1: We'll- <laughs> exclusive. Hot exclusive. the Exclusive. <laughs> Mentioned it before, I just want to send some solidarity to Janet Rice. She was officially censored by the Senate for standing up for human rights this week. She held up a sign saying stop the human rights abuses during an address from Philippines President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. Mm. Uh, he is bad. He is a yeah. bad dude who does bad things.
0: Yeah. There's some some bad shit going on over there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I remember briefly, like, because my sister, Georgia Hines, who has been on the show before, was in the Philippines around the time of the last election. And the, uh, yeah, the shit that goes on around election time there to ensure that this new um, new president was elected, Marcos, and I think the vice president is then Duterte, Duterte, the previous president's daughter or something. Like, it's all just all fucked up and they will, you know, they have pretty much complete control over the sort of news sources that a lot of Filipino residents access um, and use that to spread a lot of you know misinformation and, and false promises and then when they get into power run very violent, um, yeah, violent regimes and there's a lot of good reporting out there about, yeah, deaths in the so-called war on drugs waged by Duterte and still ongoing actually.
1: Yes, the Human Rights Watch says Marcos is... Better than Duterte in that there have been fewer, mm. I guess, drug-related right. killings under Marcos. Still continuing, Thanks. the government refuses to cooperate with the International Criminal Court's investigation into the war on drugs, arbitrary arrests, enforced disappearances, extrajudicial killings of activists and human rights defenders persist. Government officials and security forces continue the dangerous practice of red-tagging, mm. publicly branding leftist activists and politicians as members or supporters of the communist insurgency, putting them at a higher risk of abuse. Mm. and this is Human Rights Watch, Australia's Labor government should be especially concerned by the rising harassment and violence against Labor leaders and union organisers in the mm. Philippines. Albanese should urge Mar- Marcos to act to stop these abuses and thoroughly investigate recent killings. So, you know, the, the, the wow. President was just welcomed, gave to address to Parliament, celebrated, right. and, of course, the, everyone loves Philippines because I think they're a potential ally in the mm. fight against the supposed fight against China, right? So they could be an ally mm. in terms of um, naval operations and stuff. Yeah. But Janet Rice very bravely saying, No, this is bullshit. We can't just say, Oh, we raised human rights in a private meeting and nothing ever changes. We need to call mm. these people out publicly. For that, she's punished uh, and said in the Senate. Not not censuring or criticizing the guy who's overseeing these no, human rights abuses.
0: Overseeing the killing. Yeah. The, the bad no, thing no, is holding Janet.
1: up the sign, you see.
0: Mm. Makes very sense. Simple. Cool country. <laughs>
1: Um, we should also mention this is coming out on Sunday morning, which is, of course, going to be after the Dunkley by-election, this by-election that was called due to the sad passing of the Labor MP, Peter Murphy. Um, and I just want to mention this because we haven't really touched on it. We didn't touch on the on the boats that arrived in, in WA and the subsequent fear campaign that's been whipped up by yeah. Dutton the Cunt and uh, the opposition. And we did talk about the High Court case that saw the release of a whole bunch of people because, you know, holding yeah. people in detention definitely uh, is illegal. Uh, what do you know? <laughs> So all that race, fear and uh, xenophobia, of course, is being capitalised by the coalition, um, particularly when it comes to uh, you know, making that an issue in, in Dunkley, basically, and there's been some deeply ugly stuff propagated by Advance Australia in this by-election. Susan Lay tweeted, if you live in Frankston and you've got a problem with Victorian women being assaulted by foreign criminals, vote against Labor. If you do not want to see Australian women Jesus. being assaulted by foreign criminals, vote against Labor, send Labor a message. Now, that's a reference to a report on Thursday that a man who had been released from immigration detention following that High Court ruling had been charged with stalking and sexual assault in Victoria. So, okay. course, immediately Dutton goes into meltdown. See, this is exactly what we said would happen. happening. Uh, immigration Minister Andrew Giles should be uh, sacked. Uh, Labor can't keep you safe. All these brown people are coming to kill and rape us. Just hours mm. later, Victoria Police admitted the man had been wrongfully suspected and the charges were withdrawn. Victoria Police Commander Mark Elliott said there was an error in arresting him after GPS data from his electronic ankle bracelet placed him near the crime scene. Oh, but full CCTV. Literally, Mm. there's a quote from him saying, "Oh, similar race and stuff," but CCTV footage had proved his innocence. Okay, Susan Lay has not deleted this post. Okay, that is still up there on her feed. I mean, these people are are just demons, and I think it's it's just a good indication of how low they're prepared to sink from. As they always have been, but we'll be moving forward and we'll absolutely key into xenophobic racist fear mongering in order to try and campaign yes. against Labour.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: And Labor shall respond by saying, No, we're just as evil as you are, actually, and we will happily punish mm. refugees. How dare and, you? Yeah. And people of colour, uh, just as much as you are. So vote for us.
0: How dare you imply that we wouldn't lock up all the brown people purely based on their race to stoke a you know xenophobic race war? Yeah. Of course we would do that. How dare you?
1: We'll show you. Thanks, Labour. New South Wales Police Commissioner
2: Karen Webb has dismissed critics of her public response to recent Sydney murders as haters. There will always be haters. Haters like to hate. Isn't that what Taylor says?
0: Uh, Yes, Sydney Mardi Gras happened this weekend, cops and all. Uh, This is despite the uh, brief promise that they wouldn't be allowed to march. Um, Tom, when was the last time you were at Mardi Gras? Have you been?
1: Yes, yes, I used to host the SBS coverage of uh, the Sydney Gras um, mm. the parade with one actor, writer,
0: comedian, television presenter, That's what voice the of a community, said, something like some that. Might voice say, of the,
1: yeah, yep. podcast host, uh, serious danger. sex symbol. They got the hottest gay dude they could to, mm. to hat front. wearer
0: for all the YouTube viewers <laughs> this week. By the way, we haven't mentioned the fact that Tom's trying to be a hat guy now.
1: Uh, look, we're about to, obviously there's some very grim stuff we're about to touch in there, and and this decision this mm. week is absolutely. Uh, um, uh, uh, deeply depressing and horrifying, but I do want to say Mardi Gras, generally, it's history and at its best is fucking awesome and happy Mardi Gras to all the people, all the queer people, all the allies, everybody, Mardi Gras celebrating queerness and, and the rainbow diversity is a good thing despite all this shit that went down this week.
0: I've never been. So you had you to go. kind of explain to me how some of this stuff would work. Um, but, yeah. Well, get when to, a man get-
1: loves a man very much. <laughs>
0: I don't yeah. I I still I still am looking for more details. Um but we can maybe talk about that off like off record.
1: I'll send you some will send you some instructional videos.
0: Yeah. yeah, thank you. I would appreciate that. Um so look, okay. On Tuesday this week, the media reported that the New South Wales police had been uninvited from marching at Mardi Gras by the board of the you know, the Mardi Gras organizing board. But by literally the next day, Wednesday, we heard that they had backflipped and the cops could still get a spot in the parade, I guess, a float even potentially, but they can't march in uniform. Now, this is where it was a little unclear to me. So do they, do they get a float? Is there like, and here's the police, <laughs> um, but not in uniform? Or is it just that they're just going to be like marching along and everyone would be like, and here's you guess? No one knows.
1: I don't even fucking know. All the floats have to be registered, right? So it's a very big process. It's a very big production. There's been controversy in previous years in which community groups like the Teachers' Federation has been denied a float. Like they said, we don't have space for you in the parade this year, while uh, the Army and the cops and Colgate have all been awarded Mm. uh, floats in in the parade. So you Mm. need to be registered. There's a whole marshalling process. Not a 10 dentists
0: recommend sucking dick if you're a man, so.
1: I guess I remember just watching Delta Gudrum <laughs> sing on the top of a Colgate float one year on Something, something's wrong here. Um, so, yes, so being allocated space in the parade, and that is surely what people mean. When people say, hey, the cops shouldn't march in Mardi Gras, mm, they, they definitely mean don't give them a float um, yeah. for for political reasons and also for the very practical reason of like that space that could be taken up with a... <laughs> with a community group that doesn't um, mm. oppress us and isn't a racist, mm. homophobic institution. Um, so so my understanding is that now after this backflip, yes, that they are marching but they won't be in uniform.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, so they get afloat but not in uniform because this is where because I didn't understand that basically ordinary people, you have to be very special to march in Mardi yes. Gras and if you're just a regular Joe, you have to stand on the sidelines and watch them go past because in... You know, at at Brisbane Pride, for example, it's everyone is on the street together and there are sort of there will be self-organized like blocks or contingencies of yeah, unions or or teachers or the police. Yes. Um and back in twenty twenty one, like this has been an issue in Brisbane as well. In twenty twenty one, the organizers asked police not to march in uniform. Um, and that was more about like, but they would still be able to join the rally. It's just that they wouldn't be identified as the police. Whereas the way that Sydney Mardi Gras is organized, like necessarily, whether you're in uniform or not, if you are in the parade, you are there representing a particular group, it seems.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. The position always been the cops shouldn't march at Mardi Gras. Now, if you're a queer person who happens to be a police officer, first of all, mm. quit. But uh, if you want to come along to Mardi Gras and march with another organization or celebrate Mardi Gras, you're, of course, you're very welcome. We love you, yada, yada, yada. But no, it is the specific act of allocating time in this Mardi Gras process to this institution and to say that is a good thing and that they're welcome and that we have no critique as a community of, of cops.
0: Mm. Yeah, like I think that that's, and if folks are interested, um, we, I didn't realize this was so long ago, but episode 15, when Mm. we were still a very baby podcast, we spoke to Charlie Murphy, who is a former board member, a former Mardi Gras board member, out in Proud, uh, sex worker, and a member of that, the Pride and Protest Collective, which uh, has been working on this issue for a very long time, and asking that cops not much at Pride and also has a number of demands around, you know, disarming police and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but the response from from people to the the ask that cops not march at Pride or, you know, that we get cops out of Pride is like, well, they're people, like that it's exclusionary. Yes. Um, that, you know, well, if, if cops are gay, then they should be allowed to, you know, ex- take part in this event that is, uh, yeah, you know, this community event that represents them. But, yeah, I don't think I've ever really heard anyone Seriously, arguing that gay people who work as police officers shouldn't be allowed to attend in a personal capacity. I think no. probably there's an argument that yeah, as you say, they should fucking quit. But like, that's not <laughs> the that's not the demand.
1: No, certainly, yes, it, it is about yes, uh, allocating time as a, as official float in the Mardi Gras parade uh, as cops, and we're saying mm. that is bad. Great to see Charlie. People might have seen Charlie on the on the news, mm. you know, again representing Pride and protest, talking about this all week, and doing a lot of organizing calling for Mardi Gras to disinvite the cops in this particular week, and we'll get to the, the reason as to why that, that, that's the case this mm-hmm. week in a moment, um, and also, you know, coordinating protests against the backflip and sort of saying we've been betrayed here as a community. So thank yeah. you, Charlie, for all the great work
0: you Yeah, did. very great work. Um, I mean, yes, and just quickly like kind of on this question of the cops being allowed to march in Mardi Gras in particular, I do wonder if there's, what do you think about, an argument that they're going to be there either way in an enforcement capacity. And so if they're going to do that, is it better that they're also part of the rally so that you're not positioning police as purely in opposition to the queer community and to this celebration, like they're enforcing it it, in a way. But maybe that's not even something that ordinary people think because ordinary people will think that police are there to, like some people think that police are there to keep the community safe. I don't fucking know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a very different um, situation. Cops who were there working, you know, doing mm. the jobs of marshaling crowds, you know, in theory providing support, keeping people safe, the same way that they um, are present at at protests. And what have you, which is also very problematic in lots of different ways. Yeah, but there's a very different, uh, very, very different um, kettle of fish between that and mm. being marched, it, being able to march in the parade. I mean, I think, I think, so you
0: almost think it's more problematic to be in the parade than to be there as enforcers.
1: I, I think they're two different questions.
0: Mm, yes, yes, I think you're right. I Maybe think they're we'll two different
1: that. questions. Yeah. I think it comes down yes. to fundamentally what does it mean to have the cops march in this parade? What is, and these are bigger mm. questions about what is Mardi Gras about? What is the politics <laughs> yeah. of the city Mardi Gras parade? Um, is it yeah. is it even viewed as political by some people, including some people who mm. organise the event? Or is yeah. it just a party celebrating the existence of queer people? Um mm. that's certainly not the position of pride in protest, not our position either. But, yeah, these are certainly yeah. two, two different questions, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes, they are. So, I mean, all of that kind of, yeah, context and those questions in mind. The decision from the board, though, on Tuesday was really framed as a response to this particular incident and this one police officer. Mm. And so it was the alleged murders of Jesse Baird and Luke Davies by this New South Wales police officer, Beau Lamar Condon, this happened, I think he was was charged um, last week, and what the board said was, quote, Sydney Mardi Gras, along with LGBTQIA plus communities across the country, have been devastated by the loss of Jesse Baird and Luke Davies, whose lives were cut short. Our community needs space to grieve the loss of Jesse and Luke, who before this tragedy would have been here celebrating with us at the festival. The board has taken the decision to request that the police do not march in the 2024 parade. Now, what do you think about that framing of this being in response to that incident
1: yeah this is this is the tricky thing right I mean look people have been calling for the cops to not march at uh, Mardi Gras mm. took, took the win uh, obviously there's a terrible circumstances in which to declare victory you know, on, on any front but certainly people are saying that is a good decision there is a problem connecting this to a level uh, to, to a, a an isolated incident to frame it in terms of I don't know, it's almost like this idea of safety or the idea that the community would be triggered by be the triggered, presence of cops yeah. or what have you, which is like that's not the, the fundamental argument. That's not It's not core. something new.
0: This it's isn't not something new. new.
1: No, it is, not, mm. yeah, it is not key to the objection to having this, these cops representing an institution uh, in the Mardi Gras parade. And, yeah. and yes, it's about the history of what the police has done to the queer community over time, but it's also about the present—the present, the present state of right this institution. Now. When we see reports and internal investigations all the time about the uh, disproportionately high levels of homophobia and queerphobia within this institution, and then there's also the politics outside of the queer community, right? Not just mm-hmm. the relationship to the cops have to queer people, but also the way that the cops as an institution are used to suppress dissent. To, uh, to 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 police the protests, the people are out there, you know, standing in solidarity mm. with Palestine and the numerous other, you know, left-wing, anti-capitalist, anti-patriarchal protests uh, and, you know, um, anti-racist actions, uh, anti-pro-climate actions, et cetera, et cetera. The list mm. runs on and on. Viewing and critiquing the police as an institution um, which is hostile to... Freedom to us, making a better society—that's that's at the core mm. of the critique as to why these fuckers shouldn't be marching in our big, progr- you know, in theory progressive parade. Yeah. Um, so to tie it to just this one particular case in this week, I think is is a flawed approach. Yes.
0: Yeah, and that requires, as you say, that requires kind of a political. Analysis of or political view of Mardi Gras, it also requires an understanding of the queer community as a community with a strong history of cross-cause solidarity, um, which is a perspective that, yeah, groups like Pride and Protest take but may not necessarily be shared among everyone. So this angle from the board I think then allowed like the uh, New South Wales Police Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Webb, Karen Webb, came out and said, quote, to have us withdrawn from Mardi Gras on the basis, I presume, of the actions of one person who is mm. currently charged before the court makes no sense to me. Because, yeah, it's just the, it's like just one one bad person is spoiling yeah. it for the rest of us. The rest of us are totally fine. Um, like there's that angle. I mean, as you say, there's, I think there's like, like, I think there is recognition of a broader pattern, like of a structural issue with police, but there's kind of a few angles. There's, I think the angle that that we take, which we can get into further, which is, yes, like cops are a racist and problematic institution, um, particularly against queer people, and so they shouldn't be there. But there's then there's just this kind of smaller maybe stepping stone there that's like cops don't adequately investigate crimes against queer people um, which I believe, maybe just coincidentally, timing-wise, the commissioner was out there this week offering an apology um, in relation to. Oh no, she was talking about hate crimes, right, against queer people. Did you see this? Did you follow this
1: in relation to this particular case?
0: I didn't. I didn't know that it was in relation to this case. I thought it was. It was so. The ban came this is from from media, I can't remember where exactly, but Commissioner Webb issued a historic apology to the families of LGBTQ plus victims following Justice John Sakar's report into police brutality and hate crimes in the 1980s and
1: 90s. Right, okay, gotcha. Yes, yeah. right, right. These are famous cases of uh men being thrown off cliffs and stuff just for being gay yes. and gay hate crimes. Yeah.
0: That's right. But then and so didn't she then come out and say, oh, so she's done this. She then seems like the police want to make it clear that this alleged murder of this gay couple by a police officer was not a gay hate crime. Yes. Did she say it was a crime of passion? Did I see that reported?
1: Uh, someone said I, it was a crime of passion. Someone definitely said that. That's the frame, yes. Certainly, you know, trying to underline this like, is a fuck. domestic, this is a domestic uh, violence matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And but I a guess... crime of passion, like we're really still using yes. <laughs> yeah. that wording to describe yeah. Alleged murder?
1: Right. Yes. It didn't seem very passionate. It was seemed like premeditated, allegedly premeditated as yeah, fuck to me. But um just, yeah. yes, terrible phrasing. Not the worst phrase that she she used. No. I'm sure we'll get to that.
0: Yes. Because then when <laughs> responding to questions at a press conference about the case, and in particular, you know, kind of criticisms of whether police had acted quickly enough or had um, yeah, investigated adequately, she said haters gonna hate or she actually i think she said haters like to hate that's what taylor says isn't it and i'm like who the fuck told her to say that do you think that that was prepared or did that just come to her
1: well this is what's blown everyone's mind right the level of media training that cops cop bosses yes. have to go through is like is fucking substantial and there've been so many disasters uh, in the past. I mean again, people follow British politics, um, the, the kind of insane reckoning in the Met uh, police in recent years about you know like there was a cop who was just raping and killing a whole bunch of, of women as well. the way that mm-hmm. the uh, and, and a whole bunch of cop leaders have said we refuse to accept that the the cop the police force is institutionally racist or institutionally mm. sexist, just like absolute disasters across the board. Um so the fact that she would come out with this pearl, I guess she thought it was fun. Maybe she saw Scott Morrison quoting Taylor Swift in uh
0: She was like yummy yeah, in too. Parliament.
1: And she's like, That guy's cool. Everyone likes that guy. I've got to speak like him. But it was it was just truly gobsmacking that she reads
0: the fucking room. Yes,
1: delivered that with yeah. a bit of a smile on her face too. She thought it was a little bit funny.
0: Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um but meanwhile, yeah, despite all of that, they're somehow still able to negotiate a backflip from the board so that they can march without uniform. And I think, I mean, yeah, it is it is a little bit frightening to see these processes in place where you've got a theoretically, you know, a community led, like a, um, a grassroots kind of notionally mm. board under immense political pressure to reverse any decision that mildly threatens the legitimacy of the police as an institution. Mm. Um, And, yeah, this was coming from all corners. I mean, obviously the police were saying how disappointed they were. Politicians as well. um, New South Wales Premier Chris Minns was saying, I understand there are discussions taking place this morning. I'm really hopeful they can come to an agreement. There are a lot of gay and lesbian police officers who are proud of their profession and proud of their community and want to march. Um, Anthony Albanese as well was basically saying, well, uh, I think it's, it's been very good that police have marched, he said. It's come a long way from the 1978 Mardi Gras, which is mm. that angle of, yeah, things used to be bad. We acknowledge that, but yeah, we've down. moved on from that. And now police are, are good and it's, and it's all fine. Yeah. Um, you know, even after that, like, I think that the independent MP, Alex Greenwich was coming out beforehand. And then once the, the backflip happened, he was like, I welcome this. It's a significant step in the LGBT community and police working together to improve community safety. How the fuck is it? How is that? Like, I yeah, but it's so clear that you can imagine this board would have made this decision. I think there was already some dissent within the board, but they would have then had some of the most powerful people in the country, like (laughs) not just the state but the country, saying, no, 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 you can't possibly do this. The police are just too powerful to, um, yeah, to delegitimize them in this way.
1: Yeah, and this has been a, I mean, the AGM just sort of happened uh, at the end of last year, I think, as well. So right. so Pride in Protest is constantly putting up candidates to be elected to the uh, the board of Mardi mm. Gras and are running on things like disinviting uh, the cops, for example. And this is it's all getting very messy. There are much more conservative voices in the Mardi Gras board and people who are, have been around for a long time who I think primarily view Mardi Gras as a party and uh, aren't too interested <clears throat> in the organisation getting to radically political or, or returning to its radical roots. So um, I'm sure this yeah this will continue as a, a flashpoint. I mean it was pretty depressing. Julie McCrossan, who was a 78er mm, is
0: out there saying, yeah.
1: oh this is great. I've and photo fo- a photo with her with a bunch of queer cops being like I've marched with the queer cops for years and years and years. And I'm like, fucking hell and she's been terrible in Palestine as well. But mm. it's just like, come on, guys. This yeah. is this is fucking no, bleak. And and I and I guess uh, yes. The the only maybe the, the average analysis is sort of saying, well, things have, you know, that's progress, isn't it? Haven't things gotten better? Isn't mm. there a difference between then and now? And isn't but there a of progress? But they're with us, not
0: bashing us now.
1: Yes, which I think ignores a few things. First of all, the the pink washing of having, like it is actually now, yes, thanks to the progress and struggle of lots of people over a long period of time, it is actually a, a good PR move to be mm. part of the Sydney uh, Mardi Gras right like that's yeah. actually that's not that's not a detriment it used to be a terrible thing people pushed and fought for justice and acceptance and uh, and now that's a good thing so now it is a political act to award the position of a Mardi Gras float mm. in Mardi Gras, and that is something that you're doing and you are in a way endorsing this institution and that is not something that we should do because the cops as an institution are still rotten. They're yes. still homophobic and queerphobic to our, yep. so they hurt our community but they're also a shitty presence in society through their actions and their role in mm. maintaining capitalism, in maintaining politics and the, the status quo.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not only, yes, not only is still ongoing violence being inflicted by the police upon queer people but queer people have a responsibility to acknowledge the ongoing, ongoing violence of, of the police as an institution on marginalized people everywhere. And that, I think, is the point that Pride and Protest and a lot of other people are trying to make. It's the point that, you know, Lydia Thorpe was trying to make when she mm-hmm. lay down in front of one of the floats at Sydney Mardi Gras World Pride last year. We covered this on Episode 65 for people who want to go and listen. Um, and, yeah, she, she was talking about the fact that, uh, she said black and brown trans women started the first pride march as a protest against police violence. Today, we still face violence from police. Um, she, again, she responded to the decision initially to uninvite police from Mardi Gras this year by calling for more action um, to prevent, yeah, the ongoing killing of, of black and brown people, of indigenous people, particularly in this country by by police of deaths in custody and that sort of thing. I wonder whether... The like the unhinged response to her actions last year. Whether there has been a shift at all, whether this has been shifting, and particularly as we see more instances like this alleged murder reported mm. last week, where we it then comes out that it's not just that incident that, and it's not just a crime of passion that mm. this police officer had a pattern of violence. Um, mm. It's come out that he was there was an internal investigation in mid twenty twenty where he was filmed tasering, of course, an Indigenous man in Paddington Mm. who was allegedly in breach of bail on on other charges. This was about a year after this cop had joined the police. Um, There's footage of him wrestling with this Indigenous man. There was an internal review. But then, what do you know it? The officer was cleared of wrongdoing by the internal watchdog, as they always fucking are because the institution is set up to protect this kind of violence.
1: And then wasn't he given the gun because he was going to be working on pro uh, yeah. Palestine marches or something like that?
0: Oh, I didn't even know it was because yeah. Like, there's this whole question around. I guess yeah, the police have kind of admitted that maybe it was a mistake, or they're in they're reviewing whether it was appropriate for him to have access to that firearm. Mm. Um, But yeah, we just willy nilly like in a country that supposedly has strong gun control and an awareness of the, you know, extreme danger that can be associated with firearms. And yet we just hand them out to cops, like at the drop of a hat. Meanwhile, while, like, while all of this is happening, and perhaps we can get into this further once maybe the inquest inquest has concluded, but mm. just another example of police violence this week, the NT police officer, Zachary Rolfe, has been fronting a coronial inquiry into the death of Aboriginal teenager Kumanjai Walker in 2019. Rolfe shot Kumanjai Walker three times at his home, but was found not guilty of murder. We spoke about this actually back on episode 17, if anyone's interested in hearing more about that. Um, But we've been hearing about Rolf's history of violence and particularly targeted violence and racism. There's footage of him shoving, shoving Aboriginal men unprovoked in a park. There's screenshots of him texting people, you know, racist slurs and kind of racist rants about his work. He then himself has spoken about a culture, not just him, but a culture of racism within NT police where there were things like annual awards for the most uh slur for aboriginal person like behavior Mm. of the year and that people senior officers participated in this people uh were awarded with this or participated in this and were then promoted um like there's a culture of you know of racism and violence in the nt police clearly we know that there's that culture in the new south wales police there's been reports of uh New, uh, New South Wales police officers regularly charged with DV-related offences, and then they're not investigated properly. Just in 2022, there was the Commission of Inquiry into Queensland Police Service responses to domestic and family violence, which ended up having to be massively expanded because of the breadth of evidence that there is a culture of racism and misogyny and violence in the police force. Um, referring to rape as "quote surprise sex," uh, you know, slurs recorded in in the watch house, and that just being regular behaviour, like. It is so clear that there is a problem with police and so yeah it's so frustrating when even these minor it seems like we could maybe get a win and it's not even on the basis of a systemic and ongoing problem of violence within the within the police it's there's this one one bad apple who's done something wrong and it might trigger everyone and even that is shut down by you know by institutional power it's really frustrating but like i don't know it does give me hope i guess that maybe there is some progress towards a recognition of the fact that a cab.
1: A <laughs> hey, cab, y'all. And I'm sorry, like, oh, I'm a queer police officer and I do, or even I'm j- I'm just a police officer and I've never done anything wrong and I just do it the right reasons. Well, I'm sorry. This is the price of being a cop. Okay. That's, that's, yeah. that's part of the deal. You signed up to that. Okay. And you are part of an institution that you want to be proud of, by the way. Whenever the cops do anything mm. good, proud, it's like, yeah. hey, the cops are great. Well, okay. But when they do bad shit as an that institution, that doesn't represent they're like, you or well, the police. That's yeah. We can't, we can't be tarnished. Like, sorry, guys, this is, this is this is the deal. Yeah. Um Solidarity to New South Wales Greens were out there again, making the case, saying they should absolutely. And I, I believe it's a longstanding policy that they should not yeah. march at Mardi Gras, and you know, we're particularly leading the fight in this past week that was then reversed. It will be interesting to see where it goes internally in the Mardi Gras politics. I mean, it, it seems like a flashpoint, and you you could imagine Pride and protest,
0: you mm. know, next
1: next year running, say we need to elect a board that will stand by its decisions and serve our community and not backflip. Yeah, because of their relationships. So that could be something. My last little complication question for you is, I wonder whether you think this is th- that the case particularly of this of this uh, alleged murder is complicated by the fact that it appears at least based on the evidence that this cop was a member of the queer community, apparently he dated one of these dudes before, and whether that
0: well yeah, only if you take the view that it's about like one person and their particular personal motivations right. and not a culture of like exercising the extraordinary power yes. and yeah, the extraordinary power that you have as a police for officer violence, and yes. for yeah. violence yeah. that you have. I mean, this is the point of the police is that the state has a monopoly on violence. That is how our society works and yes. our country works. Yeah, like exercising that power. That's what it's about. I don't care what his personal relationships were. And that's why I don't care whether cops who are gay march, at pr- like whether they can march at Pride. It's about the fact that they are a cop and they yeah. have particular powers and the way that those powers are used.
1: They're not gay bastards. They're bastards who happen to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay, so in less than three weeks, Luchweda, a.k.a. Tasmania, a.k.a. Tassie, is going to the polls. This is the only remaining Liberal government in the country. They've been in power for the decade, lives there. The last state election was in 2021, so technically they weren't due, Tassie was not due for another election until 2025. The early snap election was called just a couple of weeks ago, more than a year ahead of schedule, and we'll find out exactly why that's the case in a moment. Tassie Greens currently have two members in the parliament. There's the current leader, Dr. Rosalie Woodruff and Vicar Bailey, who took over as the member for Clark when the Greens leader, Cassie O'Connor, resigned last year. But there is a very strong chance that we could pick up a whole bunch more seats this time around, as this election, the size of the Assembly is set to increase by 10 seats. More politicians. Yay! Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray. Very good news. Everyone loves that. Uh, This is just an election for the Assembly, not a legislative council. Elections for the uh, upper house seats of Hobart and Prosser are happening in May, and Cassie O'Connor has announced that she is is the candidate, the Greens candidate for the Hobart seat. Uh, that's happening in May. Uh, so yes, there are currently twenty five members in the Assembly, five members elected from each of the five electorates. Remember, we've got pur- proportional representation in Tassie uh, under the Hare Clark system, and so after this election, each of those five electorates are going to be electing seven members as opposed to five. Mm. So to discuss all of that. To discuss her candidacy and the batshit world that is Tasmanian politics, we are delighted (laughs) to be joined by the Greens' lead candidate for the seat of Lions, Tabitha Badger. Hello, Tabitha.
2: Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. It is indeed political chaos down here. (laughs) What a time.
1: (laughs) What a time. time. Well, thank God there are good people like yourself, Ronnie. That's very good news. To fix the state once and for all. Um, Look, we just need to address this. Your name is Tabitha Badger emerald moon is my co-host i'm the only person here with a normal name you're a passionate conservationist you're you're the convener of the wilderness society for god's sakes i know i'm sure this comes up a lot but what is it like being called tabitha badger when you're working in this space please discuss,
2: <laughs> um, please discuss. honestly it doesn't get picked up enough like i think we could do a lot more with it that is most of the campaign i don't know if anyone listening to this has a good slogan with badger and lions that mm. i will pick up i'll I'll send you a wilderness calendar as a prize because we <laughs> need to utilise it much better.
1: Everald Moon, your thoughts?
0: Um, yeah, well, I can't really relate, so I don't know, but it must be nice having like, yeah, what's that nominative determinism? I struggled with this last time we discussed this with my name, but it's that anyway.
1: Right, the idea that your name will guide you in this world and you'll end mm. up doing the thing that your you name up, says. Yeah, but, yeah. absolutely. It's adorable, right? So I assume your parents are Mr. and Mrs. Badgers. Badger. Or you're from the Badgers family. You've come from a long line of Badgers.
2: I am. Yeah, Badgers from way back. And um, I, I mean, I'll be honest, though, they're not environmentalists at all. So I think they're a little bit like, what are you doing with your life? Joining, standing with the Greens in lines. Good on you. But yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a little bit different. So yeah.
1: I'm sure they're very proud, uh, even if they have slightly different politics. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Why don't we start with that a little bit, you know, obviously more than just a a cool name. You've been a long time campaigner. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running in in lines for for the Greens.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I I was convening the Wilderness Society. I've stepped away to be able to take up this position. But I mean, Tassie is is such a crazy place. There's so many beautiful locations. Yeah, I'm a serious bushwalker. I, I love going out and climbing all the mountains and the peaks and hanging out in the forest as everybody does. But- There is just so much degradation that we see happen and there's so much change that I've seen just in my lifetime, let alone, you know, the years prior to that. So anyone who enjoys these special places, you know, eventually has to stand up and, you know, take a stand for them. And politically, I guess the Greens are the only voice that they have in Tasmania. Hopefully Mm. the increased House of Assembly will entice some really good independents as well that will also take a strong stand. But... You know, you can only be the little voice on social media parroting that everything's wrong in the world for so long. Eventually you have (laughs) to stand up with different organisations and be accountable for what you're saying as well for serious change. So that's why I got involved with the Greens and, yeah, have been so privileged to be pre-selected by the members as the the lead candidate for Lions. Could not have picked a harder electorate. It is like most of the state because (laughs) it's... Honestly, a lot of travel? <laughs> so much traveling. Um, I think since the election's been called, I've been home like one or two nights sort of thing oh, it's because the population in all the small centers is tiny and they've all got all these niche little issues. So it's really exciting to chat with everybody and it's a really diverse space to be in, but also a lot of distance to cover in a very short amount of time. <laughs> So
1: what, so what, yeah, we've got, we've got what, two, we've got three liberal members and two Labor members currently in the seat of Lions, including Rebecca White, who's the leader of the Labor Party. Uh-huh. Uh, what is the, Oh, named after Joseph Lyons, that terrible, terrible prime minister we had ages ago. What, um, I don't know if that's a vote winner, to maybe don't run on that, but that's my <laughs> personal opinion. What's, what's the geography of the seat of Lions? Where does it sort of hit across Tassie?
2: Yeah, so it is the entire of the east coast of Tassie from St Helens right down to the Tasman Peninsula where I guess the three capes are is the general location there. And then it comes across to the, the southern beaches into Sorrel so then it enters this sort of suburban area with Sorrel, Richmond, Brighton, El- Old Beach. It goes up the Derwent Valley and encompasses the Mount Field area. It keeps going towards Lake St. Clair. Then it cuts across to Cradle Mountain and mm. You know, includes small communities like Sheffield, Railton, uh, Deloraine and a few of the outer suburbs of Perth as well, uh, of Launceston, including Perth and Evandale. So it's such a mixed bag of, of different places. You've got all the Midlands and the the Eastern tiers through that as well. So we've got something for everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but it cuts out of the metros. So it doesn't include any of Hobart or Launceston, right?
2: No, that's right. No. Yep. Okay, yeah.
1: right. okay, so it's quite a regional spread out thing. Okay, well, that's a fun challenge. Yeah. Well, um, let's maybe just set the scene a little bit for why this election is happening. I think I've researched this okay, but I'm very, very willing to be corrected if I screw any, any of this up. My understanding is prior to 2021, you've got the Liberal Premier, Peter Gutwin... Riding high in the polls during COVID. Yeah, 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 close the borders. Everyone loves Peter Gutwin. His government had a one-seat majority. They lost that majority after kind of screwing over the speaker at the time. That seemed like a boring story, but I didn't know about that. They went into minority government. Then Gutwin says, well, we'll have a snap election. We're going to win back the majority. He did with a couple of seats. He then resigns as Premier in 2022. Jeremy Rockliffe takes over as Premier then. Uh Rockliff is rock hard for building this new $715 million. <laughs> I was pretty happy with that. $715 yeah, million <laughs> 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 AFL stadium in Macquarie Point. I think we've talked about this briefly on the show before. In May of last year, two Liberal backbenchers quit the Liberal Party over the issue of the stadium primarily. They say that there's a lack of transparency here when it comes to the stadium and uh, we're leaving this, this party because of this. There were a few other issues, but that was sort of the, the main thing that, was, that saw them leave the party. That put the Liberals into minority government. Those two now independents guaranteed supply and confidence, and they did, you know, reach, reach some kind of agreement with the uh, government. But at the start of this year, Rockcliffe tried to negotiate a stronger agreement with the independents. He said, "Like we need some more guarantees here." They rejected that deal. Rockcliffe has since said that Parliament is now unworkable. His government won't be held to ransom. So he calls this snap election a year early to try and get strong and stable government because, as we all know, minority governments are the end of the world. Is that the general picture? Have I missed anything there?
2: 100%. No, you've nailed it. That was a great summary. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Rockcliffe tried, old Rocky, to make a deal with these independents, which was essentially just only vote with the Liberals but you're not allowed to be a member of the Liberals but you're not allowed to do your own thing. So... Great. They left to be independents and kudos to John Tucker and Lara Alexander. They did hold true to it. Mm. They weren't going to play the Premier's game. Of course, yeah, we're not due for an election for another 12 months. So the the last parliament sitting day in December last year was probably the most absurd politics you would ever see. They didn't even get to like anything that was on the table to be talked about or discussed or motions or anything in parliament that day. So... For them, it was it was just a matter of time and trying to use the independents as scapegoats to not to have to sit in the parliament again and make absolute fools of themselves and waste Tasmania's time, basically. I guess mm-hmm.
1: they're proving their point that it's uh, chaos there in a, in a well, way, yeah. kind of serving their own argument, even though they did have a majority government. I mean, I read yeah. this, they, one of the ads that the Liberals are running now is, don't let a red, yellow and green traffic light <laughs> government crash Tasmania referencing the red for Labor, yellow for Tasmanian, uh, Senator Jackie Lambie and the Greens. (laughs) A red, yellow and green government won't be able to agree on anything. You had a blue government. You couldn't agree on anything.
2: Yeah, 100%. Firstly, thank you to them for the free advertising. Love it. Um, (laughs) But also, exactly, they've had 10 years. They're coming out with all these policies about, you know, oh, actually, red's really expensive. Maybe we should do something about that. Wow. You don't say. We've been telling you that for quite a few years now. You had the ability to change that. You had the ability to act on the cost of living, on energy prices, on doing anything other than building a stadium. <laughs> and you chose not to. So your argument is completely flawed
0: (laughs) i mean you don't understand the flow and impacts afl the stadium it's gonna like that's about it's about how that makes housing cheaper right
2: like
1: (laughs) uh, uh. it's more people are going to want to come to hobart so that everything (laughs) will be cheaper yeah that's how it works A
2: 100 as as we've seen happened you know after covid and you know people coming down here for for a sea change and trying to escape you know Different communities that are now, you know, suffering the effects of climate change are unlivable. livable. Tasmania is becoming this really mm. desirable place. Yeah, housing super affordable and available at the moment.
1: <laughs> yes, having spent six months in Lutruwita filming Deadlock, yeah. the impression I get is that <laughs> the last thing locals want is more mainlanders poisoning <laughs> poisoning the streets theme of
0: the show. Deadlock streaming now on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> well done,
1: just like we rehearsed. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about how crap Labor is in a moment, but I need to know, is Erica Betts running? There was a lot of talk about he was going for pre-selection for the Liberal Party. Erica Betts, 65 <laughs> years old, uh, the weirdest unit in Australian politics. I think he's weirder oh, than twenty eight. Yeah, that's, that's a big call. call. I know, but he's a real freak. Okay. He <laughs> said he was getting back into the game and going to run for pre-selection in the state election, but that was sort of like, you know, I'm, go- I'm gearing up for 2025. I couldn't find any news to confirm as to whether Erica Betts is a Liberal candidate this time around. Is that happening?
2: Hundred percent, it is. It's Tasmanian oh. politics. Of course, Abetz is back. He's running <laughs> in Franklin. Yes, as if it couldn't get more crazy. We are looking at the prospect of possible Premier Eric Abetz.
1: Whoa.
2: With yeah, quite quite <laughs> scary. Yeah.
1: God. Is he the lead candidate? Is he the? Would he? Is he almost well, because- certainly get in then?
2: Yeah, so obviously we've got the Hare Clark system in Tasmania, so it's very much mm. in the voters' control, how the preferences flow and friendly reminder right. to everyone. You have to vote one to seven now for your vote okay. to count, not one to mm-hmm. five. Um, so the the Greens are kind of the only party that run, uh, I guess, a lead candidate and then supportive candidates under that. It's a little bit right. everyone for themselves in the major parties, but I can guarantee Eric Betts is down there trying to make sure at least he's the first name on that Liberal ticket for the seat of Franklin. Mm. Oh, so they
0: don't have, so what, the major parties don't have like a ballot, their own, because you know, when we run, I guess the nearest, uh, what's the word, parallel for people who don't have this kind of system in, at the state level is the Senate level fed, federally, yeah. where usually yeah, the major parties will run a ballot and they will have someone who is at the top of their list of candidates for the Senate, even though they've got a bunch of candidates running in the same geographical area, but they don't do that in Tasmania with Hair Clark.
2: Yeah, so there'll still be an order on the ticket, um, okay. kind of how they're laid out. But obviously there's no above the line voting or anything like that. So the preferences mm. don't flow mm. automatically to that ticket order. It's entirely, it's, it's fantastic in a way because it's entirely in the voters' control to let those preferences flow on. But mm. yeah, how that's advertised. The other thing is there's no how to vote cards on election day. So you can't have what? people outside polling booths trying to do it. There's a special Tasmania legislation that means you have to be <laughs> X number of metres from the polling booth. Mm. Which basically puts you out on like the road for most polling booths. So it's not really possible to have people, yeah, trying to hand stuff out, although inevitably people will try. But
0: (laughs) yeah, interesting. Yeah, we have rules in Queensland about distance from the booth, but you still, yeah, like it's still notionally that you can be by the booth. But that's um, interesting. How does that affect, sorry, I know Tom probably has a bunch of other questions, but how does that affect your election day strategy because that's a big Greens thing is to like overwhelm the booths with a bunch of volunteers
2: handing out how to vote. Yeah. Yeah. Look, honestly, not at all. We we know that that's, I guess, what's in place. So mm. we work ourselves around that. And like, mm. I mean the Greens are so grassroots and community-based, right? We're already out there working with members all the time and particularly mm. in Lions because – I can't be everywhere and the support candidates luckily are very geographically dispersed around the electorate so if I can't drive six hours to one place you know the support candidate's absolutely there and and you know supporting us to win this back but the membership in each regional town is critical to us winning back the Mm -hmm. seat so we're very lucky to already have that local network playing out for us here.
0: Yeah, and so on election day, there'll be people kind of out and about but not necessarily handing out at the booths.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll still have a green presence everywhere. I'm sure there'll be everyone with their green shirts on absolutely everywhere on March 23rd. Yeah, okay. Hmm.
1: That's good news. All right, so Labor is led by Rebecca White, who has led Labor to two glorious defeats in 2018 and 2021. She's going for a third. Um, She resigned as leader after... Twenty twenty one when she lost then. Then three weeks later, the new leader, David O'Byrne, had to resign because of claims of sexual harassment were made against him, and then she was re-elected as leader. She came back after that. I guess the pool is, is quite small. Um she of course hates the Greens, she won't do deals, she thinks that the period of coalition government when uh Lara Gibbons and the Labour government was in power was a terrible mistake. It'll never happen again. She says that Labour will either govern in their own right or not at all. And according to the polls, it's probably going to be (laughs) not at all. Not at all. It
2: is then. (laughs) What a the latest
1: ERRS poll has Labor's primary vote at just twenty six percent, which and the last time it was that low (laughs) was like in twenty twenty one during all the scandal when there was all the chaos and stuff. So it's it's very very bad. Why does the Tasmanian Labor Party suck so much? That (laughs) is my question to you.
2: That I mean, why do I've been asking myself this for quite a while? I'm sure most Tasmanians have why. What, what do they stand for? We don't know. We don't know who is funding them because we've got weak donation disclosure laws here in Tasmania. If you look at their parliamentary voting record, you know, they say no stadium and they're handing out stickers and then they're in the parliament voting for the stadium to be a project of state significance. So I, <laughs> we don't know. Um it, all the media around this election has been what What does Labor actually stand for? We know what they stand against, which apparently is the Greens, but mm. you know that's a big mistake <laughs> because we have to work collaboratively in this next government. It's absolutely inevitable that that's going to happen. So, you know, it, a bit of play electorally. I mean, no doubt at the point when we have our new elected members, um, there is going to be a point where if, if it is Labor That's part of forming that balance of power scenario. Either the leader's going to have to step away because she won't work with the Greens and someone else, no doubt, will put their hand up for that opportunity because it is a big opportunity for them. We saw under the last um, Labor-Green government here a fantastic change. You know, that was part, they worked federally with, with Bob Brown and Christine Milne who were also in the balance of power to increase the World Heritage Area they had the Tasmanian Forest Peace still. They had the highest investment into public housing that Tasmania has ever seen. Mm. So to say that it's a failure is, is just to try and rewrite history entirely. Mm.
1: They'd love to do that, that's for sure. They do. I mean, I think there was – I read there was one point in 2017 or at least 2018 they were sort of running on um, – Rebecca White had the admirable position of trying to phase out um, pokey machines, right, in pubs and clubs. <laughs> and then they lose that election and then the federal Labor government come and says, yeah, don't do that. Thanks, guys, actually, because the yeah. Hotel Association gives us a bunch of money. So actually just throw all those principles out if you can and just make yeah. sure that people keep um, giving millions and millions of dollars, And it's a particularly, particularly bad Tasmania, millions and millions of dollars lost in gambling addiction. That would actually be really great for us electorally so keep a keep a lid on that if you could please
2: exactly what happened yeah
1: yep. <laughs> and sorry we will get to policy stuff in, in a moment but i guess the, the last question is this expansion of parliament right so in 1998 uh, there was a reduction of the number of seats in parliament from 35 to 25 my understanding that was to pretty much fuck over the greens and non-major parties to just like neutralize that threat so there weren't any um, minority governments And how did it come about that we're back to 35 now? How did that sort of reform come along? And why would the major parties agree to that if it does potentially put their ability to win a majority government in danger?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that government before the reduction of seats come along, there was so much progression that the Greens got through the power, like freedom of information, legislation. Um, Yet we increased the World Heritage Area then as well, new national parks, gun reform, gay law reform. It was incredibly progressive. So then they did cut it to get rid of the Greens and that's just worked so well for them, hasn't it? Because we're all still here. Uh, um, maybe not as many of us in the Tasmanian parliament, but certainly nationally and right around the world, it is very progressive. So um, I'd like to say Tasmania realised that, that Greens have an awful lot to offer and that's why they increased the seats. But actually it turns out if you've only got 25 seats, that's an awful lot of work for a very limited mm. number of people and staff and you know, that's um, part of what we've seen in the Liberal Party is that they have had people resigning due to, um, you know, burnout and just being overworked as well. Yeah. So it, it was a really sensible decision now that, okay, that, that parliament size is not serving Tasmania, it's not working for the MPs themselves either. So now was the time to increase it. And I'm going to say for Jeremy Rockcliffe to do that, that is... Well done to him because that is a big change and it is going to serve Tasmania well.
1: Because in government in Tassie, like people have multiple ministries, right? Like everyone's a mini Scott Morrison in that they, they hold these yeah. multiple portfolios. And yeah, people sort of say you're the minister for, for like four different things at any one time, which is even though everything in smaller in in, in, in Tassie is, is is smaller with a smaller population, yeah. that's still a huge amount of responsibility, tearing someone in a bunch of different directions.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Like it, it's, it just hasn't worked and it hasn't worked since the day that the House of Assembly was cut. So, yeah, definitely a sensible way forward as well as being, you know, a generational opportunity for the Greens and Independents to have fair representation as well.
1: All right. Um, I just want to hit sort of two big issue things that jump out at me is the the stuff that uh, are front of mind. Obviously, look, I I don't want to minimise the importance of things like health and education. Um, We've heard about literacy levels in Tassie. You know, the health system particularly is is a constant Um, bugbear. It's just underfunded in Tassie and and a lot of Tasmanians are struggling when it comes to accessing good health care. But it seems that the stadium really is dominating. Uh, The political discussion has done for the past couple of years. People remember this is central to the agreement with the AFL in order for Tassie to get a team. Oh. The costs were out at like seven hundred and fifteen million dollars. Now, is reading some reporting, that a more realis- realistic appraisal is that it actually costs close to a billion dollars. Is that sort of where the uh, the budget's got to at this point?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, who knows how much this is actually going to cost? But the only guarantee is it's going to be more than what was quoted. I mean, the government signed up to this deal. And then just in the uh, couple of weeks before the election, they were advertising the paper for a stadium designer and for someone to do a traffic transport study, like basic fundamental things that you would definitely do before you signed you know, a billion-dollar deal essentially <laughs> to cost Tasmanians. Like it's mm. completely obscure how they came to this. It's, it's mm. almost at the point without actually knowing the true cost of this. There's an agreement with the AFL that if the stadium isn't built by a certain date, yeah, you can still have your AFL team and you just pay what is essentially a a final reimbursement to them of a certain few million dollars. The question's got to be asked, is it cheaper just to do that and not (laughs) build the stadium and just, we want a team. That's the overarching agreement between everybody. We want an AFL team. We've got other stadiums, absolutely support investing in them to bring them up to scratch, but this new stadium... There's no transparency around it. There's no, you know, a believable business case because we can see they haven't even done the background research at the moment. They're still trying to get someone to help them out with it, so...
0: This is amazing. But, you know, like I, I have to admit I hadn't heard about this issue at all. Like, clearly I'm not yeah. up on my Tassie politics. But like, yeah, obviously the parallels que- with Queensland and the Gabba Stadium rebuild for the 2032 Olympics, exactly the same situation where, yeah, they sign on to something apparently with no plans. You know, they it, it emerged years later that they were still figuring out what they were going to do with the school right next to it. Turns out they were going to demolish it um, and, and things like that. It was initially $1 billion. It then blows out to $2.7 billion, possibly yeah. more and particularly in like the current economic context it becomes clearer and clearer that it is (laughs) like not going to fly to spend this huge amount of money on something that is not needed when people are struggling to find a fucking home and then and the greens are always the first ones there realizing that and then the major parties start to realize maybe this is unpopular and come on board like I think it's yeah I mean it, it really says something about like our current political moment and economic moment, the
2: parallels there. It's fascinating. Mm. Oh, it's so bad. The worst thing is they went to announce the stadium on the day and that location is, you know, it's not far from the Hobart CBD and yeah. that whole green area is where it has become like a satellite homeless village. Mm-hmm. And the politicians right. walk past all these people. There's a sewerage works there as well and they're doing their big announcement surrounded by homeless people with the work in the background, it's like, is there not anything – how can you not see anything wrong with this picture? Wow.
1: This, this blew my mind. There, I mean, this is, again, an article on the stadium. There are doubts $750 million is a realistic estimate to remediate the site and build a stadium that, according to the deal, will be the size of the MCG, right? Oh. Now, that's – but I don't know whether it's the same seating capacity as the MCG. You would hope yeah. surely not just because – Again, Tassie cannot meet those same kind of numbers as Melbourne can. Have a fixed, transparent roof and be ready to go by 2028. I mean, yes, the yes, the the costs, the limitations, and the expectations on this thing are so massive. The AFL only chipping in 15 million dollars, which is also insane. The, the polling seems pretty consistent. Again, yes, Tassies love football. Everyone wants a team. Thumbs yep. up to that. But the fact that this um, this stadium is the cost is far less popular. Uh, the Greens are campaigning against it and I think in your policy document, you know, you're constantly sort of drawing back to this issue. So, in your housing policy, you've got build yep. new public housing, not a billion-dollar stadium. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I mean, is
1: is that the, the campaign approach, right, to constantly draw people back to, well, we know we have the money, we know the government is prepared to invest, you know, huge silly amounts of money in this thing when the needs of Tasmanians when it comes to housing yeah. and education are far more dire, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you need it you know, flagship project for irresponsible spending and commitment. The stadium is so obviously it. Like Tasmanians do love their footy. They go um up to York Park in Launceston or Bell Reve when there are games there. They're never at capacity. So, mm. you know, the the new stadium idea, there's that concept as well. I mean there's there's plenty of other things that we're irresponsibly spending on here in Tasmania, like subsidizing the native forest logging industry, despite trees being, you know, what about greatest carbon stores uh, and a huge tourism asset for tasmania mm. as well but yeah the the stadium is is just so obvious and while they're so doggedly determined to see this through uh. it, it just it it makes no sense to anyone any tasmanian can r- relate really to to the fact that this is very irresponsible
1: on that last point, it seems to be another front opening up in the forest wars. Uh, we're okay. sort of touching on this on our series in our Patreon feed, which people should sign up to. We're reading Inside the Greens, which really goes over the history of the party and particularly in Tassie, UTGC, UTG party, uh, Lake Petter campaign, and also how much forestry was like a flashpoint in previous Labor um, Greens coalition governments in the state. This week, uh, the Liberals announced they would make 40,000 hectares of forest from what they described as a wood bank future potential production forest available for logging at short notice. And they're basically saying, we're not going to be Victoria. We're not going to be WA where native logging has been banned. That's not, that's not the Tasmanian way. We are going to let people chop down way more trees. Weirdly, the peak forestry body seemed to think that this was not a great idea. They were like, we don't want anything to do with this. You haven't consulted with us. This has become a pretty cynical election ploy. Yeah. Uh, where are the Greens at on this particular policy? And, I mean, what, what is the likelihood of Tasmania ever sort of going the same way as as Victoria and putting an end to this this practice of cutting down native trees during a climate crisis and when we yeah. want endangered species to live?
2: Yeah. I mean, the writing is on the wall. like. <laughs> That, that announcement yesterday that came out from the Liberals was just, just an absolute joke to spark community division and it completely failed um, spectacularly, as you said, through the industry. And of course, the other thing is that we've recently uncovered is that there are a ton of Victorian logging contractors who got paid out nearly a billion dollars to stop native forest logging that are in Tasmanian forests taking our <laughs> native forest logs. God. And then these logs are going on the spirit of Tasmania in front of all the tourists who are coming here to see said trees and,
1: <laughs> They're and like, I the I them. Sea Road I going s- back.
2: Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, two birds on stone. You get, <laughs> you get on the boat and you get to see
1: the trees at the same yeah. time. Uh, What's like, the
2: problem? <laughs> there's native forest logs there. They're not even going to Tasmanian sawmills. Mm-hmm. So why do we Why do we need another wood bank? It doesn't really seem like it's for Tasmania. It's- uh. You know, if it's going elsewhere. So, yeah, it's absolutely absurd. Absolutely, native forest logging will end in Tasmania. Um, that's that's going to be the first point, no doubt, with however this plays out in terms of having a um, power sharing agreement in the next government, that will absolutely be the first thing that comes up, whether it's with the Greens or independents. I think mm. we can all agree that it's beyond time that we end native forest logging in Tasmania.
1: Hell yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yes, thanks to long hard work of lots of campaigners from Bob Brown right through to, you know, Victorian Greens MPs, that, that has been the case in other parts of the country. And so I certainly hope that is, that is indeed the case. I highly recommend people check out the Greens uh, policy page. We'll put a link in the show notes if people want to read all those cool policies, including a whole bunch of great revenue-raising measures uh, like raising $60 million per year by aligning mining royalties and rents with the national (laughs) average. Imagine that. Um, Restoring uh, tax rates of casinos to pre-2022 levels. I guess I got a tax break at some point, so probably reverse Mm -hmm. that, get a bit of money, invest that in public services would be fantastic. It's, uh, it's really good stuff. What can people do to help you win Lions and get a Greens uh, from Lions into the Tasmanian Parliament, Tavitha?
2: Absolutely. Just share the word as far as you can. Get As we touched on at the start, back to my name, at least it's memorable and it stands out. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just get that everywhere so people remember it on election day. Absolutely. Follow along on all the different social media channels. And if you're in Tassie, absolutely hit me up. There's so many different ways you can help on the campaign in the in the field, the field campaign, or coming along to different events.
0: What's the best way to get in touch with you? Like, should um, we just check your social media?
2: Yeah, put we'll put the social media in the show notes. Yeah, if mm-hmm. possible. yeah, cool. Yeah. Yep.
1: Is door knocking part of the strategy? You guys are getting able to I mean, you know, with such a regional yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, electorate, but that's definitely part of it.
2: Door knocking is hard in lines. It would take like four days to reach a few hundred houses, but um, <laughs> in the suburban areas down south, absolutely, we've got some teams out and about, and I'm trying to do as much as I can wherever I am. So, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful campaign to do door knocking.
1: Great. March 23rd is election day in Lutruwita, Tasmania. We're thinking of you. Let us know if we can do anything else to help. And thanks for giving us your time today, Tabitha. Appreciate it.
2: Right, thank you for all you're doing. Thanks. Thanks, Tabitha disaster fries the Great Barrier Reef.
1: Woodside are burning up the Pilbara.
2: Greenwash public statements—they're still turning up.
0: called in addition to supporting Tabitha and the Tassie Greens if you're in Tasmania, but everywhere else as well. If you would like to support the family of Kumunjai Walker, who was the teenager that we mentioned in the first segment, who was killed back in 2019, there's that coronial inquest going on. It's very expensive for family to attend and also to kind of continue the fight that they've really taken up for justice on this and, you know, to to end Black deaths in custody and, and police violence, there's a GoFundMe. We'll put that link in the show notes, donate if you can. The other thing you can do, relevant, to this week's discussions is support Pride in Protest. We'll put their uh, little list of links. They often, they'll have rallies. They might have places that you can donate, things that you can follow, campaigns that they're running. Um, mm. Jump on there and see what you can support.
1: Again, we're recording this before the actual parade itself. And again, I'm sure knows, the parade will still happened. be fun. Yes. Do you think people will boo the cops?
0: mm don't know. They booed Lydia, didn't they, last year? <laughs>
1: yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, hey thanks for listening to our show you can rate review on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening give us five stars that really helps spread the word if you're watching this on youtube like and subscribe and comment we would love that very much you can follow us on patreon uh, on twitter instagram tiktok at serious danger OU, and email us anytime hello at serious come
0: see us at the live shows we come see it. our
1: live shows you guys uh it's gonna be so good uh, it's
0: gonna be really good see
1: you next week bye
0: a serious s s s